0: Tough loss last night, but before we get into it, I want to tell you about our friends at Cozy Jewelers. If you're thinking of buying something special for a special someone this holiday season, look no further than Cozy's, especially if you're in the suburbs. Family owned and operated, located in the heart of Newtown Square in the Edgemont Shopping Center. Cozy is the place to go this holiday season. The guys in there are terrific. They have a 4.9 on Google reviews, a 5.0 on Yelp. We've heard from readers who have been there before and raved about the way they were treated, whether it's jewelry, necklace, bracelet, uh, watches. They are certified Movado watch dealer or rings. And, and that's what I want to talk about. If you're in the market to get engaged, whether that's the holiday season or you're just thinking about it for next year, or if you're just even entertaining the idea, go in there and just just look. The guys at Cozy Jewelers will walk you through the process. They will explain to you how they source their diamonds, how they build you a custom engagement ring. That's what you want. You want to get her something unique. So go in there, let the guys at Cozy Jewelers take care of you and walk you through the process. It can be a lot to handle, but if done right, it, it, you, will, you, will, you will wow her. Trust me on this. So if you go in and tell them the Crossing Broad or the Crossing Broadcast sent you, and you buy a women's custom engagement ring, you will get a free men's cobalt wedding band. So, believe me, this this is something you're going to want if you're if you're getting married. So, um, go into Cozy Jewelers, tell them we sent you. Uh, you can check them out online at Cozy Jewelers C O Z Z I Jewelers.com. Uh, they're like I said, they're located in. Newtown Square and the Edgemont Shopping Center, and they are sponsoring uh, our podcast and also Anthony Sanfilippo's Flyers content on the website. So um, be sure to check them out, and our thanks uh, to them for sponsoring the show. On to the uh, birds. Wait,
1: yeah. What do you mean Jay-Z pointed you
0: out?
2: Uh. So um, my girlfriend has this pink Rockefeller jacket, and uh, it's like yeah. a throwback, and uh, we held it up again. And uh, he pointed at us and he looked at me and he said, uh, you know, you need to step it up because she's been out partying you the whole night. And I was like, what? Uh, and that was cool. Um, it was fun, man. It's it's cool to see someone like that from from that close. Was like,
0: so you got a shout out from. Yes. Yeah, so you
2: know, second one. No big deal. Just got to keep got to so keep up with the Benjamins.
1: Were those tickets Turner tickets? No. Or, uh, no, or I bought you... those. Hmm. I had, a, oh, I had a theory. Yeah. Look at you. You had a
2: theory? What was your theory, Russ? My
1: theory my theory was that they were Turner they were tickets. Free. Like I thought it was kind of like the World Series game. Yeah, no. And some other game you've talked about before. I was like, oh.
2: That's, if you know. it's sports, likely it's work. If it's not, that's me.
1: Hmm. It's a pretty interesting
0: Saturday night. My Saturday night, I got a video of Russ doing this. Oh,
2: man. I saw the group photo. You guys got wild, huh? Where were you guys? Where'd you have the party? I'm sorry I missed it
1: bourbon bourbon blue Ooh. it was good it was nice
2: did you guys both DM me the same picture to see which quality was better from your phone yes we did. who won because I couldn't tell
0: oh, the iPhone no, no I that think was supposed to be your Russ's decision wife even took the iPhone X to take the photo that was supposed X to, to be your photo. decision no Adam you were, yeah you I think,
1: were think it was the iPhone X and... Russ that's alright that's alright mm-hmm. I'm a full generation behind it's okay <laughs> it's the S7 it's fine
0: at some point, I would love to get into the the holiday party briefly, but no, we I feel have to like eagles. I feel like we need to find. Um, I, I'm guessing we each have our own pet things that we're upset about from last night. All right, Adam, what's your pet thing?
2: Um, my pet thing is. Yeah, let me, see let me if I guess. guess.
0: Rubber out. Rubber out. Okay,
2: so my thing is, I was in some text change chains and I was on Twitter and then I watched the post game show. And I think my annoying thing is how throughout this entire run, people have been saying that we're not respected enough and that, uh, you know, like that people are disrespecting us and all that stuff. And I have people texting me saying, Adam, what is going on? Is this over? What is happening? I see people on Twitter freaking out and blaming uh, the refs for everything. Uh, I have Russ DMing me um, in the first half or at the end of the first half going, what is wrong with the play calling? And I'm sitting here going, I think this is really good for the Eagles. Like I'm like I'm sitting here going that this is really good. You you outgained them, you out first down them, you out threw them. You had pressure on Russell Wilson the entire game. I just don't think the coaching staff taught them how to contain for some reason. And Brandon Graham is gonna have nightmares. Um, I think it's subtly kind of great that they lost a game like that when they did. Uh, I'd much rather them lose the Seahawks game than the Rams game. Uh, I did not think this team was going to go 15-1. I've said that before. Um, and I don't know. I thought that Carson Wentz, uh, in a game in which like Carson Wentz probably plays his worst game but also has some of his best moments, uh, they abandoned the run in the second half, which I thought they were doing a very good job of setting it up to bring back in the first um holly pulley volley Vi, Vitae did not play great but i don't know i i that's my biggest gripe kyle my number one gripe is if there's i i do not like going full man to man and blitzing really against anybody but especially against russell wilson Like, if there's one defensive scheme not to play, it's, hey, so what are we good at? Okay, we're really good at getting a pass rush with our front four. Okay, and what are they good at? Well, sometimes because they have such a shitty offense, Russell Wilson will just roll out and then throw it up and cause 50-50 balls. And that's how they got their first score. That's how they got that score is the first one they got through pass interference penalties and because they went 50-50 balls. And the second one was because they just threw it up and they took a chance in zero coverage. You're a better football team. That is my number one gripe is why they played so much man-to-man the entire game and allowed Russell to just lob it up and cause big plays. That's my number one gripe.
0: You brought up a few – all right, so you brought up a few things. I I think you brought up an interesting notion, not the, hey, it does good to lose a game notion, which I think there's something to that. But the fact that you can argue that in some ways they outplayed them and, you know, had multiple opportunities. Take away the holding at the goal line, the fumble at the goal line, the decision not to throw the challenge flag, the – you know, I mean, there's a a whole bunch of things we could look back on and say, hey, the Eagles probably cost themselves at least 14 points. Right, yeah, well, yeah, and they, I think we all see the game and we're like, well, they played horribly. That is not the Eagles team that we know, and there's something to that. But to your point, at the same time, they arguably outplayed the Seahawks in many respects. I don't know if they were the better team, but, you know, they left a lot of points on the board. So I'm I, I'm kind of torn as to whether, like, I think we're past the moral victories, though I feel good about the fact that they had multiple... Multiple opportunities that normally this Eagles team would have converted, and that a loss doesn't kill you. Everyone expected this as a loss, but in the real world, it's like, well, no, this still sucks because all of a sudden they went from being the top team in the NFL yep. to now the second team in their conference according to tiebreaker, with a tough game coming up. Like so, I, I I'm, I'm kind of with you in the respect that, hey, look, if if they just do things the way they normally do them. Wentz doesn't fumble. There's not a holding penalty, all this. He doesn't miss an open Aguilar. They win this game. And then on the other hand, it's like, those are those are things great teams have to do. And I kind of feel bad about it because we just we just cost ourselves a winnable opportunity. And you can blame six different guys who blew the opportunities Eagles in picks, that game, including yeah, the coach yeah, and the replay
2: Russ, before Russ, before um, you come in, let me just finish with this, and then I'll let you go. I... I am not someone, and I don't think anyone should be someone that looks at the playoff picture right now and goes, well, that's it. The Eagles are the two seed. I know the Vikings are going to lose before the season is over. They are not going to end this this year on like a 13-game winning streak. They're just not. That's the way the NFL works. So I, I think that... The Eagles were going to suffer a loss. These other teams were going to suffer a loss. I think getting that focus on the road before the Rams is great. And I have seen so many Eagles teams over the years that I knew in my heart were not as good as their record indicated because they would go into games and they would get run on. They wouldn't be able to stop. They wouldn't be able to run the ball themselves. I knew that they were fluky and that they were gimmicks. And from what I saw last night, this Eagles team was the team that was actually better and the Seahawks were the fluky team. And that is something that I have not felt before as an Eagles fan. Um, I knew that we were always the team that was built like a house of cards. This team is better and it's a lot easier to make a better team play correctly than a fluky team play better.
1: I think the Eagles picked the absolute worst possible night to play what might have been some of the worst and most undisciplined football of the year. And what I'm, what I'm getting at here is Seattle went the last night's game, leading the league in penalties per game. They averaged just under 10 per game. And you finish a game. Now, the, the, eventually the numbers bared out the, the case that it, it almost ended up even. I think the, the Eagles had two more penalties for about 15 more yards yep. when all was said and done. But a couple narrative things that, that frustrated me going into that game were every team, I kept trying to explain to my in-laws, we were over visiting them yesterday, I kept trying to explain to them that like there were certain teams that you wanted to lose yesterday. You wanted New Orleans to lose, they won. You wanted Minnesota to lose, they won. And so going into that game, I think more than anything, I wanted to see the Eagles win. Like I get the idea of saying that it's good for them to face adversity. It's good for them to not have everything go right. You you know, like having a, a loss to a good team on the road, isn't the worst thing. Seattle's now what? 20 and five in games in December, um, with Pete Carroll as their coach. Uh, there were a few things about it that upset me. And I think part of it was just setting the stage with every team that you wanted to lose that, you know, their game they won. And that's, that's a big issue for the team. Um, I think I I got sucked into this a little bit like I did with the Cavs game where it didn't feel like the Sixers should have been favored, and going into this game I get why the Eagles were favored, but again going into that game they were nineteen and five in the month of December with Pete Carroll as their coach and Russell Wilson as their quarterback, and I think you know you go in with a ten and one record and you expect to to come out of there. There were I, I think the most shocking part of that game to me was the fact that you're missing two thirds of the legion of boom you've got Byron Maxwell who was an abject failure for the Eagles who who was trash for the dolphins and now he's out starting a corner and it takes you until the what midway through the second half to start attacking him uh, the fact that this offense returned to that east west style in the first half the fact that Doug who we've given plenty of credit to for you know during these 10 wins as being a guy who's, who's not afraid to go for it on fourth down, a guy who you know, has been making all the right play calls. The fact that in the first half, they re, they reverted back into that, that, I guess, like the Chiefs game where it was that tuna can offense. That was an upsetting part. I understand that you're going into Seattle. I understand that it's a tough game to win. Like, I get all that. But this is not – like, if you're going to lose, I want to see you lose the way that you've been winning. I want to see the play calling, you know, be essentially the same. I want to see Doug not being afraid to take risks. And I know that I'm, you know, psychotic in the fact that like that first drive where it's at midfield and it's like a 4th and 1, I want them to go for it. When Doug is challenging plays that that are very hard to overturn. That first challenge or, yeah, it looked like it looked like it should have been a first down. Uh, but you know Russ, that, that hold on one get... sec
0: before we, I think because you're starting to get into listing mistakes. Uh, so but, uh, you touched on two things there. Let's let's touch on the first part and, and their placing, and then I think we could probably have a discussion about all of the mistakes because I think there's probably I, I'd like to rank them because and I don't know if they're um, they're all mistakes or just bad moments or you know the the Wentz fumble, but there's definitely a lot. So before we um, I wanted to follow up on the thing you said about their place in the conference and the division because I think you bring up something good like a lot a lot went wrong yesterday in a in a small way. Like we've been talking on this basically once a week we've had some sort of 20 minute discussion where we've talked about how the conference is shaking out, how everything for a series of like six weeks for the most part, broken the eagles favor and yesterday there was a lot of little things like none of them damning adam i agree with you they're not like this this isn't over they're 10 and 2 like the sky isn't falling no absolutely not like there's plenty they have everything is in their control they play the rams like it's 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 fine really we would have signed up for this a 10 times out of 10 at the beginning of the season but yesterday russ like you said the saints the saints if they lose that game Then you have a a Panthers team that is now in the mix, but you've already beat them. So you're feeling good about that. You definitely want the Panthers to win. The Saints look downright good. Al Kamara is a potential superstar, and that two-headed monster of him and Ingram is downright scary. And now their defense is healthy again after that one-week blip. Like, that's a scary team. Um, The Seahawks yesterday... I don't think they looked great, but their defense looked good. Like, yeah, the Eagles made mistakes. Yeah, Wentz missed a couple of key throws and fumbles the ball. Like, you know, they gave up more ground than the scoreboard would lead you to believe. But to your point, Russ, what are they in December over the last few years? 20-5? and All right. Um, (laughs) But, like, we've been talking about this all year. Like, hey, this is a team that... Once they get it going, like, they're going to be in the mix, too. And then, oh, by the way, like, just for good measure, let's throw in the Packers, who win, improve to five hundred, will play the Browns next week, and then may get Aaron Rodgers back in Week 15. And now, all of a sudden, you're, like, I, as soon as I saw that, I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, shit, the Eagles are going to get a home playoff game, and it's going to be against Aaron Rodgers in the fr- in the second week of the playoffs. Like... So, as good as this season's been and as right as everything has gone for the Eagles, I don't think the sky is falling. But yesterday, a whole bunch of little things went wrong. The Rams won. The Saints won. The Seahawks beat you and also won. The Vikings continued to win and now technically are ahead of you. And, oh, by the way, the Packers are sort of looming there in this sort of weird, oh, God, they're going to be a, a potentially scary team with a mediocre record that winds up playing That's the Eagles. That's why I'm scared. So, that was
1: That was like the biggest— yeah. I know that Green Bay has been wildly inconsistent, but if if you get into the playoffs, like as part of that entire narrative that we've had about like everything breaking the right way, including Aaron Rodgers' collarbone, like if if they end up making the playoffs, like that is a that is probably the yeah, worst do you don't want you don't Aaron Rodgers yeah, like, like that was that's exactly why Aaron we got Rogers. so we got, we got so hyped up Aaron about Rogers. the, the so, potential of the season. Although I don't know if they're going to win. Few three. things.
2: Few things to note. One. The reason that this Aaron Rodgers injury is different than his collarbone injury before is this is actually his collarbone on his throwing side. Yes. So I know that we're getting like weekly reports that like he's throwing the ball in practice now. I still think it's a thing. And like you guys said, uh, there's still four weeks and they still need to win all of them. And they're not that good of a football team. Um, Also, the thing that I... um, I found interesting, like watching social media in the first half and then also watching the game is people believe there's a direct correlation between who catches the ball and what the play was designed to go to. Like I kept seeing, I can't believe they're not dialing any plays deep or I can't believe they're not calling any plays for Alstron or Zach Ertz. So Seattle has a very good elite-level defensive line, like elite-level. Like Sheldon Richardson, Michael Bennett, Frank Clark, like they are really good. He didn't have any time in the first half, and that's why so many of the balls were going short. You need time for Alshon to develop. We I don't know if we're going to be able to talk about his new contract at 13 per year, but it's definitely one of the knocks against Alshon is that He's not a guy that just immediately wins a matchup. He needs the play to develop a little bit to create time for because he's not that fast. So, um, I just found that the offense, look, they were trying to set up the the run and some of these screens and stuff to catch the Seahawks off balance because they were coming full steam. The thing that I was really upset to, Kyle, was the fact that they let them have a clean shot on Carson on that offside play. Remember that? They, they yes. just let Frank Clark blindside yep. him when he was clearly offside. They, that's called a clear path foul. You you stop the play. Um, and then they showed Carson Wentz grimacing afterwards. But um, I don't know. I thought the first half, it was just... They they came out in the second half like I thought they would like all guns blazing ready to go because they had set them up Which in the is first why it, half. Yeah, it just
1: the, looked like I don't know, Adam. Like, is it is it Doug being inexperienced still that like going in and showing too much respect to Seattle on the road? Like, is that what is that what the first half was? Because it, it felt so cautious. It like it it just felt so anti everything that this this long winning streak has been.
2: I disagree with you that they should have gone for 4th and 1 at the 50-yard line in the beginning of the game after Seahawks just drove down to make a 3 nothing. I understood what Doug was doing. The holding of the challenge flag on the pitch, I'm a firm believer that if there's ever a play that cre- that you believe is a huge momentum swing, it's at least worth, like, to the timeout or to like change momentum I'm a believer in that so I and plus like there was time to throw that challenge flag there was time to review it I saw it on the first play that it went ahead of yard like I don't understand how Chris Collinsworth didn't see it I thought it was plain as day um, and then Russell Wilson on, was in his mouth
0: at that point so that may have blinded his view temporarily yeah
2: well you know me I'm a hu- I am a huge Russell Wilson fan so like I'm
0: I know you are and he's he's, yeah. he's well, incredible He's
2: unbelievable. Uh, I thought, but yeah, I thought that he got more conservative towards the end. But then, like, Russ, to your point, he also didn't kick the field goal to go down 11. Uh, So there was a lot of things where he was aggressive later, but then he wasn't. I just feel like none of them knew who the fuck they were. Like, I, I think that this isn't as much about the Eagles players Getting a loss, I think the Eagles coaching staff deserved a loss for what they came in with as their game plan and their execution. Wait, uh, wait let, me, I, let me. I thought
0: you just, you, but you just sort of defended that in the under the guise of you know, Wentz was under a lot of pressure, and whatever they were trying to do didn't have time to develop. Yeah, talking. but
2: so, so yeah, oh, so, so the same point though is I don't always put the offensive line problems on the offensive line i thought the eagles coaching staff put their players in a bad position i thought that the defensive coaching staff was way too aggressive against a scrambling quarterback with no real wide receiving threat and i thought the offensive coaching staff clearly did not come in with a good blocking scheme and did not just like did not have a formula for how they were going to attack seattle I feel like they didn't get that first completion to Nelson Aguilar and they went, "Oh fuck." Now that was our big play. Like I just I feel like they didn't have a great game plan um to attack. I thought that they they went, "Oh shit, Carson's in under pressure. Let's keep people in" and then didn't develop anything from that.
0: I think that goes to what Russ was saying though with the the whole Tuna Can offense thing. Like I I I agree. I hear what you're saying in that you know, you can't just look at who catches the ball and say, "Okay, well, that there wasn't a long route here; it wasn't designed to go to somebody else." By my count, just going through the play-by-play, there were four short passes to the right to Jay Ajayi. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's ever something they they want to do. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that horizontal movement. Um, once yeah. they struggled to get the ball deep and allow things to develop, there weren't a lot of those you know, slant and quick outs that they've had some success with over the course of this run. I mean, Ertz doesn't make a catch to the second half. Again, I don't know if that's not necessarily on the coaching staff. I'm sure he was the number one option on more than one play in the first half that he just wasn't open for. That's fine. But, you know, there weren't a lot of those plays. Like, Jeffrey gets a slant at some point, or, you know, he's coming across the middle at some point, I want to say in the third quarter, and he was... Um, going to the first down marker, and he just like didn't have speed to get by the guy. Like Those are things that you can't really blame the coaching staff. It's a number one wide receiver. you got to get a little bit of separation there. And so he, I think there's like plenty of bl- and he, plenty of blame to go around there. But it felt, to Russ's point, regardless of how the plays were drawn up or whatever, it, it started to feel like the tuna can So offense. two things
1: really quick. Uh, all I could think, the, the few of those plays that you're talking about, those, those wide throws out to Ajayi that took a little bit of time to develop, all I kept thinking was if Richard Sherman is in this game, at least one of those is going back for six, because like I, I was surprised a couple times that the that, that, that couple that were close. the corner didn't jump the route. Um, the other thing is Alshon, you know, for as much as I as I love him and want him to be involved in the game plan, Alshon committed one of the I don't know the worst penalties that they could have had in that game, where he he holds what was that at the four yard line, where like at that point when he actually started engaging in a hold as opposed to a block, uh, I think it was Ajayi had already, you know, gotten near the first down and then ends up pushing them back. Which yes. that's so a, let's a, rank, that's let's rank, here's,
0: here's well, the
2: one thing I want, and I want to rank. The one thing I will say about the Tunican offense, which is funny that we're calling it that now, um, the Patriots set the gold standard on how to attack the Seahawks defense uh, in that Super Bowl, the Marshawn Lynch not getting the ball Super Bowl the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl, which was underneath catches that forced Seattle to tackle. If you remember that Super Bowl, it was all Julian Edelman, Amendola underneath. And then that became the new like constitutional way of attacking the cover three press bail defense that Seattle runs, that Atlanta runs, that Jacksonville runs, which is throw underneath and then beat them uh, and then just kind of accumulate yards and i kind of think that's now like i'm listening to all this and watching again that that may have been the philosophy which was just you just tap 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 or in the words of gary v jab jab punch whatever it is and uh, but that's kind of what i think now makes the most sense which is that is the standard of beating that defense
0: sure but without looking at the play the play chart in front of me like just from you know my recollection of the game They didn't use it. There was no downhill momentum to do that. Like Edelman is the king of you know catching the ball on a quick slant and being able to pick up a few yards after the catch or just continuously moving the ball. The Eagles had a lot of slow developing plays that went left and right. I mean, and I know uh, I know this isn't even it, but you got that third and one where you get a pitch to the outside and the you know the ball goes backwards off the line of scrimmage. Like those are the sorts of plays that I remember from last night where it's like this play is going through mud before it gets like just, yeah. you know, two yeah, I'm fine with two yard quick hits. At least it keeps the momentum up. Um, yeah. The
2: one thing I'll say is the Russ one, that the, the, the holding on Alshon and the Carson ones fumbling in the end zone. Yes. Those were both drives in which there was plenty of momentum and they were running the ball and they were throwing and they were driving down the field at ease. You're right. And both of them, you have a touchdown taken away at the one. Like I see, positive in
0: that yeah no i all right so let's rank those so the, here's l- let's define the mistakes to start the alshon holding penalty which leads to a field you know which pre- basically prevents a touchdown you're first down on the four yard line basically prevents a touchdown at least that would have been like first
2: on the one yeah
0: well okay yeah penalties at the four but yeah wherever wherever it would have been uh you know his holding probably sprung him an extra few yards and that's what collinsworth was saying like hey you're already in, in at the five like just worst case scenario you got a first and goal so that cost them at least four points. Uh, the Carson Wentz fumble. The Carson Wentz misthrow to Aguilar the first time. He was wide open. And the decision not to challenge. Are there any others besides those four that pop out at anybody? I know there's little things Repita's, along the way. Repeat those. Repeat by So you got the Alshon holding penalty uh, that leads to a field goal and pushes them back. You have the Carson Wentz fumble at the goal line that goes out of the end zone as a touchback. you got Carson Wentz's deep ball to a wide open Aguilar that is, that is overthrown. And then you got the decision to not challenge the. Pitch, I would like toss to play.
2: submit the all-out blitz that led to uh, yeah. Seattle getting the ball at the one and the p- putting Ronnie McLeod on Doug Baldwin.
0: Okay, so let's. I'd um, like to add that. All right, so so who feels strongly about any of these? I can. I'll. I will happily start with the challenge because I think this is going to be my pet project
1: today. Yeah, the, the challenge has to I, be. It's got to be up there. It's, I it's, mean, it's an entire momentum shift.
0: I come from. It sounds like we're all going to be in agreement on this. Like I come from the school of thought that you know some people don't like to blame decisions, and they like to say, and you know, this is coach speak to the nth degree. But hey, this happened, and we should never have been in this situation, so we shouldn't just look at this one thing. And there's definitely some truth to that. The Eagles made plenty of mistakes yesterday, where. Maybe if their normal selves aren't in that situation, but this is the this is the specific thing that I've been talking about all season. The I think Doug is a he's done a great job. He is a great schemer. Even yesterday, to your point, Adam, like you know they did have drives that put them in position. He is he has all the players pulling on the same rope. Like he, but by all accounts, he's done a nice job, a terrific job with the offense, with putting uh, other assistant coaches in a position to succeed, and all his players wanting to play for him. like Those are the things you can ask for out of the coach. My hesitation, as we've said a thousand times, has always been those, those pivotal decisions, not clock management pivotal actual impactful decisions that he just always seems to come out on the wrong side of regardless of the reasoning everyone has its own list of reasons that it occurred so last night the booth whoever is in the booth shares the responsibility and I probably tweeted more harshly about Doug and I got a lot of pushback on Twitter because I was just fired up um there's obviously blame or to go around to the guy in the booth so when I say Doug here I'm including the guy in his ear you have to cha- like. You have to challenge that play. Doug t- was asked twice about it last night. Once during the press conference, which kept fucking cutting out on CSN, we had to see Michael Barkans' blue glasses. Uh, and afterwards, in the tunnel with John Clark, a one-on-one at like twelve thirty, where he was much more forthcoming. And to his credit, he answered. Clark asked a good question about it. Doug was very forthright in his answer, and he said, "He said, look, I, what I had in my ear." it was uncertain we didn't have a chance to get all the looks that we wanted so we were unclear um, and we were a little bit hesitant and he admitted this because of that first challenge and we didn't want to lose another time out. So there's like a series, if this is a plane crash and they're going through like the list of everything going backwards that happened to let up to this moment, you have to go back to the first challenge flag. It was a fourth in inches on a team that converts these with Jason Kelsey and Carson Wentz, just being able to fall forward three feet every time, regardless it was, it was kind of useless to challenge that play. Forget the fact that they got it wrong and lost the timeout. You probably just go for it on fourth and inches anyway. Like, why even take the risk there? You really don't need to. They're almost automatic in that regard. So, bad decision there. Now you allow, you compound those decisions. By now you have a play that is truly impactful. It's like truly leverage. So, even if the guy in your ear, unless he gives you a flat-out no, like a flat-out nope, don't challenge us, we're going to lose it, uh, which I'm guessing he didn't, because as you said, Adam, even on the first replay, it's clear that at the very least, it's really, really close, it, it, The regardless of the angle you have. The
2: first replay, I was like, that's a half a yard ahead. Yeah. And, and the second replay, I was like, that's a yard and a half ahead. Yep, tot- it was just, yeah. Totally agree. I so don't
0: know. Even if he doesn't get an absolute yes, and he gets a, hey, yeah, I think this is going to be close as a coach you have to do and these are the things like this is the thing that bothers me with Doug you have to do that quick calculation this is a huge leverage play you just scored a touchdown you're down 7 you're about to get a 3 i think it would have been a 3 and out i don't quote me on that but i believe years. it would have yeah. been you get the ball i mean you get the ball back now you have momentum a touchdown a stop and the ball back this is a and you know forget about After the fact Carson that Carson Wentz Seattle needs 17 incredible yards on the throws. play. Right. It, it was like the, all these things. Like you have to do that math. You have to do that math in your head. So I don't the people defending him in the because there's the replay guy who may have gotten wrong, fine. They all share in this. But as a coaching staff, and ultimately it does fall on the guy who throws the flag, you have to say this is worth the risk. You see this every week in the NFL. Coaches throw the flag when they don't know the answer, because they know the play is so big that it's worth a timeout. And that play was so clearly worth it. Never mind the fact
1: that it was clearly a forward pass. That's also like, the, the that, context. Like that's also a context longer. of the game thing too. If that happens in the first half, I don't blame Doug for not challenging. Right, but that's the leverage because, thing. Like it's yeah, such because, a huge
0: pivotal play. This is why you use your some some like the new age managers will use their closer in the 8th inning in baseball cuz you recognize the the crucial moment you're at the heart of the order with the bases loaded like forget about the ninth like we got to get we got to stop this here that that's what that was yesterday and doug like it just always seems like whatever the reason he's always on the wrong calculation in these things the coaching staff whatever like it ultimately it falls on him this is the thing that i was like scared of and It's not the reason they lost. There's a bunch of other reasons, which obviously we're going to talk about. But to me, like, it is 100% worth talking about. And all the people who are like, oh, you know, you can't just look at one decision. Well, like, no. The coach makes decisions as part of the game. You're not going to blow people out every week. You're going to be in close games where you still have a chance to win and you have to make the right call. And this is like the fourth time now in two
1: seasons where the right call was not made. I got to go. You you have to go. What time is it? It's 10 of. um the last thing I wanted to to bring up when you guys are doing this ranking, and I know that it's it's not a tangible thing necessarily to rank, is last night I kept waiting for the defense to have that one game-breaking defensive play that they've gotten practically every every game this year.
2: One thing that I've also thinking, watching the game is I wonder if Jim Schwartz, because he has Darby back, is like, oh, I could just run man-to-man all the time. And I don't know about you, but... I think that Darby is a pass interference liability all the time. Yeah. Like, all the time. Like, he should have been called for one against Des Bryant in that Dallas game. He absolutely was called for one last night. Uh, I feel like there's multiple times where I just get the feeling, and you can save this for later, that he is going to get called for a P.I. in a playoff game or, or something that is going to be crucial. Mm-hmm. I just I get that vibe from him all the time.
0: You know who I get a. Uh, I agree. I, with and you. also, also,
2: why is Rasul Douglas not playing anymore?
0: I agree with like, you. On he's guard.
2: back, so we don't play him anymore. Okay, yeah.
0: No, I I agree with you. I mean, I, I, he's good. He's clearly talented. It, it, you know, he's missed a lot of time and, and still getting up to speed and. It looks like sometimes he, yeah, like he, he just straight up interferes to get himself back in a play. I agree with you. The guy I would say I have my my pet thing about in that regard, where it's like they're going to do something at some point, it's going to kill us. Is uh, is Barner? Like he's good, he's talented, but he always is on the f- the verge of doing like fumbling the ball is one a. But last night that play where he trips on that wide open little loft in space, why he's in there on the crucial third down play is beyond me. Um, so uh, again, on the coaching staff, but my guy for that is Barner. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop with Barner for no other reason other than I just don't, just don't trust him on the field. Um, but let's, let's it kills. Get, yeah, yeah. So
2: would you want to rank? You want to rank the mistakes? Yeah, I mean,
0: we don't even need to do a number. Like at least address them. Like, wh- how do you feel? I mean, the Wentz fumble is kind of a like you, if know, you
2: can't control it. It right, was a like, great play by Sheldon Richardson, right? especially man, third and thirteen third and fourth 14 that throw falling over Byron Maxwell's head to Nelson Aguilar is one of the greatest throws I've ever seen in my life. Agreed. Like in my whole life for him to be literally like stumbling and looking at his own feet and then corkscrewing his body and throwing it 40 plus yards in the air over a corner on a frozen rope. I've never seen someone from that position throw a ball like that. And then to finish it with that touchdown to look cross field to Nelson Aguilar. Just sensational.
0: It was better and it, in fast It
2: really too. is a t- it, it was it was legitimately a top 5 throw that I've seen in my life. I agree. In my whole life. I agree. and There was a lot of
0: that ball. sentiment. A lot of that sentiment for football writers. On Twitter like I've never seen a throw I've never simply just never seen a throw like that because in fast motion you're watching it my first thought was like okay he's going down then when he corks the throw you just assume he's you know kind of launching it out of bounds to, to prevent a sack of course but it goes so high and far it was like it was it was like one of those things in a video game like in Mad- in Madden where you make a throw and you're like that's not real like you can't press the square button, going across field off off your back foot and throw it fifty yards in the other direction. Like that's not real. So when the ball's in the air, you're like, oh, that's not real. Oh shit, that's going to get intercepted. You're like, oh my, there's a receiver there. Like the that was actually targeted to somebody. I, I yeah, that was. I'm with you, and that's why it's hard to hate on Wentz. Like he didn't have a good game. He missed the Aguilar throw early. He fumbles at the goal line. This, you know, he looked a little. He looked cloudy on the next two series after he got his head banged, and I I guess he's all right. But he, those two, like the second and third series of the game, third and fourth series, whatever it was, like he just looked like he was a little slow in his decision making. This was not; this was far from his best game. I mean, probably his, oh, I would say his worst game of the year in terms of like just decision making and the whole package. Um, But you really can't hate on him because he's he's so damn terrific. Um,
2: if the Eagles played any other team Brandon Graham would have had five sacks last night yeah yeah I mean
0: like I can't I know you like you seem like you kind of want to blame the scheme or whatever for going at Wilson and you know not holding contain and you know leaving guys in man coverage but man I mean it's really hard to blame a group whether it's the coach or the player like they got so much pressure on him. How many? Co- I mean, I know he's the only quarterback in the league that you can have running backwards ten yards multiple times and still not get him. You just have sometimes you just have to tip your hat though. Like they got so much pressure on the guy. To Russ's point, I think the disappointing thing is they had him on the run and in so many goofy scenarios where you would expect in almost almost any other quarterback in the league in those situations, if they don't get sacked, one of those plays is going for a horrific back-breaking interception possibly a pick six and that just never came
2: yeah well that's look I have watched way too much of the Seahawks offense where getting pressure against the Seahawks is not hard every week Russell Wilson is running for his life it happened against San Francisco they were all over him and he was having to spin out of people that offensive line stakes the issue is most teams play zone behind, so that when he's running around, like the, he his wide receivers kind of have to find spots in the zone where it's like yesterday. It was just lob it up one on one. The refs were bad, and I don't I don't want to kind of let them off the hook completely. But um, I don't know. I just. It just didn't seem like they had a game plan behind all the pressure. It was like we have faith that Brandon Graham can catch him and it's like guys, nobody can catch him. He's that freaking good.
0: Then that, that's what I was that's what I was going to ask you like do you think it was just a matter of them thinking, all right, look, we have guys in Graham and Barnett and we have linebackers in Bradham and Kendricks who have enough speed to either get him in the backfield or if he tries to run beat him to the edge, so we're okay playing man, because unlike other teams, we think we can bring this pressure, get the man pressure at or near the line, and be able to actually get to the quarterback. I guess That's got to be the calculation, and obviously it didn't happen, but...
2: Yeah, and it's not Brandon Graham's Like Brandon Graham was fantastic.
0: No, I mean, it's it's, just... You can't blame a guy. He is what he is. You can't run faster than Russell Wilson as a No, he's unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Did, Did that Barner play bother you? Like.
2: Of course, you know, a lot of their plays. Um, sometimes I think, you know, the Eagles are obsessed with the dump off and they're obsessed with the leak out and they're obsessed with like having you believe they're going to go one way and not the other. Carson Wentz, throws was a fantastic across the middle intermediate ball and I just didn't see enough of them yesterday. Um, I didn't see enough of rub routes from our receivers, you know. Uh, it clearly was being allowed last night. Uh, and I think it's a it's a active play. The, the funny thing is, is I don't have rub routes as one of my my gripes, Kyle, because I thought the Seahawks actually executed theirs better than I had seen an NFL team do all all year. You know, having two corners bump into each other. Uh, th- that's an incredible rub route. Like that's fantastic scheme. Didn't usually know about. Illegal.
0: I've been I've been begging for the Seahawks defense to spread it and run these routes, and and finally they do it against the Eagles. Was yeah, you? it's
2: unbelievable. Yeah, it was. Okay, you know I've been saying all year that the Seahawks should go five wide and not try and run it because it's not worth it. And I feel like the Eagles actually played, like respected the Seahawks run, and. The the Seahawks, for me, they started right off in the game with going like four wide and just throwing it almost every time. That's what they should do. That's how they're going to be good. That's how they'll have a chance. But I don't think that they're talented enough on defense. And every every ball bounced their way last night. Um, One one thing that's kind of about the game, but it's more about the post-game show, um, is the first time I've actually watched it. And one, if you close your eyes... Barrett Brooks sounds exactly like Hannibal Burris and I encourage you to go watch a video of Hannibal Burris and then go listen to Barrett Brooks. Number 2, <laughs> that show needs somebody that Seth Joiner is going to listen to because Seth Joiner is not listening to shit. And the the thing is is that Barrett Brooks immediately shuts down every time Seth Joyner begins to talk. Um you, I, I I, didn't even know that uh, Mayer or whatever he is now Rendell is still on the show and I actually agree that it does need more of him because it needs more of the fan perspective uh, you know Barrett Brooks and Seth Joyner just say banjo a lot to confuse the listeners um, and I also don't agree with a lot of the things that Seth Joyner says I think that Seth Joyner talks about Holly Puli Vati Vaitai needing to play with more heart. Or he talks about, you know, you just need to make a play. And I'm like, okay. And then Didinger sure comes in there with great shit as always. And uh, it's measured and it makes sense. And then it's just except Seth for Turner. when he's
0: telling a to shut up and tote the football.
2: Well, I don't know where that came from. Again, like, I. <sighs> sometimes you know a clip gets you only get to see one clip but now I know uh I just I don't know i I, I was you know and it's funny because I look at Barkin and Barkins trying to represent the fans and he's trying he, these are what people are saying so he's doing the host role which uh is never easy because you're trying to to, to, you want to put your own opinion in there, but at the same point, you're trying to represent what you're seeing on Twitter. And then you need to remember that, like, Twitter isn't a fair representation of the fan base. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It needs one other person.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. It, I agree. Like, the show. The is- person in
2: Barrett's role needs to be able to disagree with Seth because I could yeah. tell that he never disagrees. And this is the first one I've ever watched.
0: And when he does. So here's the dynamic. And, and this is the most the most I was engaged last night. Because, you know, for most games this season, there really hasn't been that much discussed. The Eagles have killed people. Um, Last night, you know, you wanted to hear talk, you wanted to hear the coach and all that. Seth, I actually like Seth Joyner's analysis. I think it's in terms of that he needs to make a play, he needs to try harder stuff. He does that way less than most former players. He is, there was points last night too, where he's very analytical or he's breaking stuff down. Sometimes it is shop talk and it is talking over the, um, Viewer's head a little bit, but that's their problem. Like he's describing actual things that happen. I don't have a problem with that. I think in terms of his breakdown, he's better than most former players. But he he's he sounds like that every game, win or lose, and you can't. He doesn't. He never really channels the fan. So this is a ten and two season, and he sounds like he did last night after just about every game, and that's the part for me that's a little tough to stomach because he always comes in as as the know-it-all, and there are times, you know, the Eagles have won 40-10 or whatever, and he's, like, doing the same thing. Barrett Brooks, though, cannot – he just can't go toe-to-toe with Seth. He's not as intelligent. He's not as well-spoken. Um, to me, he does all those things you just described about – Yes. Oh, you know, it's that. And Seth usually just picks him apart. Like, I'm sure they're friendly off the air and all that. But on the air, it's clear Seth doesn't have any respect for anything Barrett is saying. And that's, that's a weird breakdown. And then Ray just kind of comes in and does his thing. I I agree on the governor. Like, I, I feel like he's lost his speedball a little bit and seems. Oh, have he's to the s- governor now? He was for like eight years.
2: Oh, I have no idea. Does he still hold that's, office? That's
0: incredible. No, but you call him, you know, you still call President Bush, President Bush. He's not the president. He is the governor. He was also the mayor. That's
2: unreal. What other jobs, or if you coach. have that job, like, are you called, like, you know what? If you're a coach, you're called coach the rest of your life. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Podcast host. Then, podcast then, host Adam Lefko until the day you die.
2: Man, janitor Adam Lefko.
0: <laughs> the, uh, I, I, like, put Obviously, Rendell wields enough power. It's like if he says he wants to be on the show, they pretty much got to put him on the show. But I I thought the dynamic of him sitting at the table always worked. I know people didn't like him. I do too. But it it was a good – that show, it doesn't need to be super serious. So you had Barkhand did a good job of doling it out, and I always thought he's been great at TV. But in this specific role, and I think in some of the changes Comcast has made, he has changed his personality to more the guy he was – when he was on WIP, which is not good, like he's fire take Barkan, and fire take Barkan is unpleasing. Barkan was good because he was he's a good point guard, he's a good moderator, and he was the generally upbeat, sunny face of a fan. But I feel like we've gotten fire take Barkan on TV, which is which is not good. never forget about the blue glasses last night. But <laughs> his TV persona has changed into more of a hot take artist, and that. That doesn't please me. It's not as like Mike. If we're talking Q score, I'm like, I don't like what I'm seeing right now. And it's hard to put my finger on. But I think, yeah, like you can't just go to the gov in his own little cove cove, and have him weigh in. Like his dynamic works when you have the fan coming with his emotion next to a guy like Barrett or not Barrett, uh, like Seth and Ray, who are at least going to kind of give you you know, pour water on whatever that emotion is and explain to you the why of it. Like, that dynamic works. And now it's just like, you know, Rendell gets his 30 seconds to say his thing, and it's weird, and everybody gets quiet. And, yeah, the, the show's, the show's a, a shell of what it used to be. And part of it, I don't think that's just because of, like, viewing habits changing. I think it's the chemistry of that crew is not, like, the V-Heb, Diddy, Gov, and Barkhan. That was the, the ultimate. That was the perfect blend of people. So I'm with you. 100%. Yeah, I, I think they yeah, all the wear pro- sweaters, and and Seth Joyner looked ridiculous in whatever he was wearing last night—the turtleneck with like the—I swear to God—he was wearing a brooch.
2: He was wearing the Nate Burleson. Uh It's it, well, they have a weak link, and it's Barrett, and that's plain and simple. Yep. And I i I remember seeing Breakfast on Bra when it first started and seeing a clip and going, well, nope, that's not going to work because I don't. Um, man, I'm not, I don't want to talk that much shit. No,
0: no, No. I get what you're saying. I feel like there are some guys, you know, there's former athletes who come back or come here and they have a great PR guy or manager or agent who gets them the radio role, you know, who gets them the fill in spot on the WIP morning show once every two weeks. And then that guy starts to get more publicity and then he occasionally gets appearances. How does this
2: start with him?
0: I, I don't know but I'm telling you this is the way it goes like then he gets appearances then hey come out to the car dealer he's gonna be here and he does some alumni stuff with the Eagles and like next thing you know this person has just sort of morphed into the local like sports media ecosphere and that's how you wind up with Barrett Brooks and then they're like Oh, hey we need we need the jolly former player for the morning show let's go to Barrett Brooks we need a jolly former player for the postgame show let's go to Barrett I Brooks we need a radio I don't, remember. I don't remember. Me neither, but that's, it doesn't matter. And that's right?
2: the worst part. It's Yeah, but that's the worst part. Of all of this, Kyle, of every aspect, how many former Eagles would you like to see on that set? And how many of them probably didn't get the call? And my thing is just in the end, this is going to sound really bad, and I apologize to friends and family of Barrett Brooks, but I don't remember him playing. He had no impact on my life. I don't think he's that good at this job. I think that he can't sit up there on that desk. His pocket square was a joke. And I. every time I watch them, I go, if that was Freddie Mitchell, I'd be interested. If that was Brian Westbrook, I would be interested. to know what happened there. I just, there are so many Eagles over the year. Have it being a rotation. Have it being Jeremy. Do you know how many fucking Eagles would come back right now? Jeremiah Trotter, Trey Thomas. I don't know what his relationship is with the coaching staff. I just I don't believe I don't
0: know. I, th- I believe Comcast let Westbrook go, probably Damn, it was probably a money thing. All of that. So there's two there's there's two other dynamics at play. Like obviously there's guys we would like to hear from uh, you know Dawkins. You can name guys. Where you're running in the problems now, um and I've heard this with like Philly's fantasy camp, weirdly, but you know, the guys of the last fifteen to twenty years who really Resonate for fans, regardless of the sport, have made so much money. Like, that wasn't really the case in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Like, with the, the exception of a few people, you know, players made a lot of money, but it wasn't life changing money. Now you're talking about guys who played in the 2000s who, even like mediocre players yeah. in any sport, made well, so much money Eli- they don't need to do this. Whereas Barrett and Brooks why didn't gross that much. You're absolutely right. And that's, and I,
2: it makes a lot of sense because that's why Eli will never do television and peyton manning will never do television
0: yeah romo's doing it it, you know
2: that's the weird one yeah that one and me and sims were talking about it because we were we we love talking about former players doing this industry but romo he clearly wanted it like there was like he really was interested in it and had been thinking about it like they need it to be a passion that they want to do yeah um, I also wonder if it's dance came so hard at him that it made sense, but Literally. no. But a lot of these guys, you're right. There's just not enough juice for the squeeze, and it's it's a lot of squeeze. It really is.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. That's why. I, that's why I like. You know, I know some people. You could poke holes on the technical side of his broadcasting chops, and you know whether even his style it grates on you. But it's clear he has an enthusiasm where there's a good chunk of guys. Who feel like it's a job, whereas Romo, it's like this is he doesn't need the money. Like he he is he clearly has an enthusiasm for the game. Now, will that wear over time? Will he become, will he become jaded after 15 years of calling big games? And will he become Al Michaels where he can yawn on a you know on a fourth down Hail Mary pass? Maybe, but it's 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 nice to hear his enthusiasm. You like that part yeah. of it, but yeah, so I, I agree. With the, we could we got to be able to do better than Barrett Brooks have to. But that's what happened. Guys like you know guys come back like Tommy Green, you know, like nothing is wrong with these guys. And I don't blame them. They're trying to get work and they come back to the city, but like we have no discerning palate for for these people it's like if they can get into that little Philly sports bubble and they could show up at little things they can go to Preston and Steve's camp out for hunger they can occasionally show up on a morning show they can be available for radio spots they can do stuff as alumni for the former team and you know get that little alumni golf shirt like all of a sudden you know they just keep you know chipping away at the the rock and eventually next thing you know they have like an actual impactful role not because of their talent, but just because like, Hey, this is former player. So-and-so. And you send out enough press releases with their availability. And next thing you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, they're a real person. You know, we, they should be on TV all the time.
2: It's interesting because I look at, at the game last night and I, um, I, I really believe the Eagles were the better team. And it's just like, I think they're better than the Seahawks. I obviously think they're better than the Seahawks in what happened is what happened. But, I I just think people freaked out, and I was I was watching the freak out happen in real time, and I'm just sitting there going, Look, the Eagles are going to be fine. Like they are. They're going to be good. They had some key turnovers, they had a lot of calls that didn't go their way. Uh, they had their worst performance. Like Carson Wentz had one of his worst performances of his career. He had one of the best drives of his career. But overall, he did not play well. He missed some wide-open guys, which see the key part of that sentence. There were wide-open guys, which means the plays were there. They just weren't executed, and that's fine. The defense took some risks that I thought they didn't need to do. Jared Goff can't run like Russell Wilson. Do you know how much of a relief this is going to be for the defense? That the guy they're trying to sack will be standing in the same place? It's going to be great. Um, This is another test coming up. But I think that if they had to suffer an uncharacteristic loss, I'm glad it happened to the Seahawks. The Seahawks are not going to be as big of a threat in Philadelphia in the playoffs because that's where it would be if they were going to play. So, it's very early on. Minnesota will lose another game going forward. The Saints will likely lose another game going forward. Um, It will happen. Not all these teams are going 14-2, 13-3. It just doesn't happen. Look at history. They're going to end up 12-4. Now, could the Eagles be the team that finishes 12-4? Sure. They really could. But... I believe that the Eagles have um, the one of the best quarterbacks that are out there. I trust their defense more than I trust a lot of those other defenses. Um, it's just going to really come down to, I think, you know, the play philosophy and the play calling. I do agree with you. They tried to get cute. A lot of those fourth down, the third down run toss play, the fourth down wheel route you know they they tried to get cute and i thought that the eagles had a lot of success pounding them and then playing off of that they didn't do it but i still have a lot of faith in this team i still have a lot of confidence and um i think they're going to come back and and play very well against the rams
0: that game is is as huge as it looked oh you know three weeks ago it's huger now I mean, and this is fine. Like we talked about this. If they go three and one on that little on this little four game stretch, Cowboys, Cowboys, Bears, Seahawks, we're just you know Rams. You know, if they come out of that three and one, we were feeling real good about it. So thus far exactly. they're two and one, so we're fine. But now that game, that game becomes massive because if, now if they lose that, now they're just in that big shuffle of teams that you're throwing up in the air and seeing where it lands. That's coming down for home uh, a buy. Um, you know, forget about home field. If they lose that game, now you're, now you're worried about the bye. Um, yeah, like Seth
2: Joyner said after the game, he goes, if you're sitting there watching what the Vikings and Saints did today and you feel that confident that the Eagles are still number one, you can't. That's what he said. You can't feel that confident they're still number one. The Vikings are a very good team, and I'm glad that everyone's finally realizing what I've been telling you, Kyle, which is the Vikings are for real. But the Vikings also scored just 14 points today against a Falcons defense that I don't think is as good as the Eagles' defense.
0: And was missing players. Right. So, was all, so yeah.
2: The true, uh, true font wasn't there. Yep. But so they still only scored 14, and their offense wasn't great. And the Falcons elected to uh, kick the field goal that they then missed. Um, the Saints, the Saints are a very good team, but for the but realize number one, Panthers are literally the perfect matchup for the Saints. The Saints destroyed them earlier in the year. The reason is the Panthers play a zone the whole game, and the Saints can just attack the zone with underneath throws. And uh, the Cam Newton offense is just not being figured out from a throwing perspective having lost kind of a lot of their difference makers. I I have been championing, championing the Vikings and Saints all year, and now they're being taken very serious that they are very, very good. I still think the Eagles are better than both teams. As much as I think those teams are good, I still think that the Eagles have more complexity. You said before that Alvin Kamara is a potential star. I disagree. He is a star. Yeah. He is. I said on the podcast or uh, two weeks ago, or uh, I think after last week's game, week and a half ago, that Alvin Kamara is getting my vote already for Offensive Player of the Year because he does everything, everything for that team. My my dream is we play the Saints and they some for some reason feature Mark Ingram more than Alvin Kamara, which they have the tendency to do at times. And it. it boggles my mind
0: it was funny it happened on the first I think it was their first or second drive yesterday their first two or three of their first four plays go to Kamara and they just march down the field and then they get inside the 15 and all of a sudden they try and throw it doesn't work they try and give it to Ingram it doesn't work and then eventually I think three plays later they just bring in Kamara and he's like I got this (laughs)
2: yeah just avoids two
0: defenders and stumbles and forces his way and dives over defenders into the end zone
2: I mean, people say, "Oh, you can't. He can't get the ball every play. Why not? Yeah. Uh, uh, why not? He's clearly capable."
0: I know, I know. And that the scary thing here, I, I think, to me, the Saints are scarier than the Vikings because I think their defense is is really good. Um, not great. It's not as good as the Vikings, but it's it's really good. But offensively, they're built to win. Like they remind me of last. It's like they looked at the Falcons last year and said, "All right, here's a dome team. Kind of." kind of known for its passing game matt ryan julio jones and yet what did they do to really be successful last year well they had a two-headed running back in Devontae freeman and tevin coleman who were just gashing people the second half of the season and it's like the saints looked at that and were like all right we're going to get some good corners and we're going to use the you know i mean i guess you fall into Kamara, but we're going to use ingram and Kamara as our two-headed monster and that two-headed monster
2: yeah it was going to be ingram and adrian peterson
0: Right, right.
2: Remember they signed him.
0: But it's still an intentional thing that they're doing. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy. They but you know, they backed into the star that Kamara is, but like that they're better as a whole than Freeman and Coleman were. And it's weird because Freeman the lead back was, you know, is probably I would take I would take over Ingram. But right now it's the secondary back, the pass catching back in Kamara who is just incredible. You know, like MVP caliber player, not this year, but I mean, he has, he's, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. And Ingram is good enough to be just a lead back. And that's scary because they can win on the road. And you know, the whole, there's always going to be that saints narrative, but man, their, um, their offense is, appears to be very difficult to stop. And my
2: advice to any Eagles fan that is going into work today, and you know that you're going to face someone that's talking shit. Use their strategy against them. If the Eagles would have beaten the Seahawks, they would have said to you, oh yeah, let's wait and see how you do against the Rams. Use that against them today. Oh, what about the Seahawks? I thought you guys were great. Okay, let's see what happens with the Rams. Use it back to them. Because the Rams game is more important, and I'm telling you, They're going to look great.